Neve solicitors are proud to sponsor the parent show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. Welcome to the Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Curry. Hello, I'm Seema Barker. Now, every single one of us has experienced an angry child or indeed a teenager. And what we'd like to ask tonight is how regularly does it have to happen for parents to consider it problematic? Do parents need to have an insight on how anger actually works? Is there any chance to manage anger in our children or our teens? There are very, very few people in the country that are as qualified as our guests this evening to speak uh, about this issue. So we are really delighted to be speaking to Professor Stephen Scott, um, CBE. Just to give you an idea of um, his background, Professor of Child Health and Behaviour at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience at King's College London. So um, Professor Scott is going to talk us through these issues and help us understand anger in children and teens better. Uh, And then later in the show, we'll be talking uh, a little bit about different ways to deal with anger in children. And that's speaking to Ruth Renga from Mindful Pathways in St Albans. And she'll be giving us possible approaches to how to deal with the anger that uh, manifests itself in children. We're really delighted to have one of the most relevant people in the country speaking to us this evening. That's Professor Stephen Scott, a CBE. And I just want to give you a little bit of background about our speaker. Professor Scott is the director of the National Academy for Parenting Research and a consultant child and adolescent psychiatrist who works with families who can be difficult. So he's carried out a number of trials to discover what works best with both younger children and adolescents to improve their anger and mood. And he's also the author of the best-selling textbook, Child and Adolescent Psychiatry with Professor Robert Goodman and he's about to launch an online programme to help parents and we'll talk to him a little bit about that later. But first, very welcome, a very warm welcome to the Parents Show, Professor Scott. Hi, good evening. We're delighted to have you on this evening. So can, for a start, can you tell us what the difference is between assertiveness and anger? Yeah, well, I think we most would agree that assertiveness is sticking to your ground without losing your rag and just saying, well, I don't agree with you in a calm way. Uh, Whereas anger is when you show an emotional reaction, uh, go off, um, sometimes use bad language and get really emotionally aroused and upset. Um, So I think there's a clear difference. In assertiveness, you always stay calm. And calm is the key between the two. Fantastic. So, so is anger a normal emotion? Absolutely, it's a normal emotion. And indeed, uh, if children don't have it, you can worry a bit. They can be characterized by other kids as wimps. They can get bullied because they don't fight back. They don't stand up for themselves. All of us need to have what I call clean or healthy anger if we are insulted, if we are trodden on by our colleagues at work as an adult. Uh, If children are pushed around, they should feel anger. That's a normal emotion. Uh, Whether you act on it and hit somebody, that's another thing. But feeling the anger is essential. It's essential for the survival of the species uh, that you defend yourself and you don't get pushed around. 
that makes uh, that makes a huge amount of sense. And actually, I'm I'm going to call my my anger clean and healthy from now on. I, mean, I, mean, I really like that phrase. Now do the washing up. <laughs> so Tammy, is but where is the line? When when do children cross the line or teens cross the line? Well, it's when it becomes repeated and it gets in the way. When it starts stopping them getting on with their lives, by which I mean they're not having good relationships with their parents with the other kids, they're always having a strop and making other children fed up and sick of being friends with them. If at home they're always having tantrums, if they're little three and four lying on the floor and screaming because they're not getting their way, that's not good. And if it's persistent, so in, from the medical point of view, if they've had that for more than six months, uh, several times a week, we worry because unless they're not treated, these children can do badly in later life. When you follow them up till they're young adults, there's a kind of person, when you get to my age, you wouldn't want your uh, daughter to be marrying. Uh, that is to say, they've got a bigger increase, seven to eight times chance of domestic violence. These are kids who are six or seven in the classroom, the worst one or two kids in the classroom. In a typical primary school classroom of 30, by the time they're 25, um, many of them will be uh, doing drugs heavily, alcohol, domestically abusive, leaving school without a single GCSE or NVQ qualification on state benefits, uh, getting a criminal record. This is not a good life. No, and it's not the kind of person anybody wants their daughter to, or son, <laughs> no. son to marry, definitely. Uh, bad boys are one thing, but yeah, that's it. They're... angry, bad, failure boys is another. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'd love to know is if you can if you can be selective on the target of your anger, does that mean you're not really angry, you're just kind of playing up? Oh, no, I think you can be angry, but you can be a bit in control. Uh, some kids completely lose it and just lash out at everybody, but some people are quite selective. Some kids will smash the door, but they won't hit their parents. So that means there is some control, but the anger is real. And and if you're selective about who you're directing it to, if you're an angel outside the house, but you save it all for your parents, is, is that pretty typical too yes that's pretty typical too um yeah and you know if a woman's been cheated on she can be sweet at work but she can justifiably cut up her husband's shirts or whatever <laughs> and and professor scott thinking about the the way that you're describing anger you're talking about a child lashing out and and obviously turning into you know quite quite violent yeah. uh, a, a behavior but is there also kind of low-level anger, but where... I mean, I'm just wondering if you could explain the kind of, perhaps, range of anger that you would still feel that you could be involved in at a professional level because it's perhaps more low-level in that it's not going to that extreme, but it's obviously a, still a problem for parents. Well, it's also a problem if it's um, regularly accompanied by lots of disobedience. No, I'm not going to get up. It doesn't have to be shouting and screaming or hitting right. and biting. But I'm not going to get out of bed. I'm not going to do the washing up. I'm not going to do my homework. Uh, I, 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 if it starts getting in the way with everyday life, then I think we're worried. Right. And so, so that's interesting. So there's an association there, a link between persistent disobedience and that being some sort of a manifestation of anger from yes, the child. Absolutely. Right, because I suppose some parents might feel that that's just a problem of discipline, perhaps looking to themselves, like, oh, my child is, it's, she, you know, he, she's so difficult and I, I, I can't control them, I can't get them to do normal things, or, or perhaps even 
um, not blaming themselves, but just saying, well, children will be children. Yeah, um, it's all a matter of degree, isn't it? Um, yeah. Some children will be, in, you know, there are, there are terrible twos and that sort of thing, and lots of teenagers will just grunt at you in the morning and say no and not do anything. But once it starts stopping any warm relationships with their parents or their kids or getting their homework done or getting to school on time, that's a problem. Yeah, and so can you tell me, what do you think is an age where... Perhaps this is a very tricky question to answer, um, uh, uh, the kind of, you know, how long is a piece of string. But w- what kind of age do you think it is okay for a child, a young person rather, not a child, but a young person to say to their parents, no, legitimately, I don't have to listen to you because I don't want to do that. I choose not to do that. Well, I'm, I'm fond of saying that when you look at baboons, um, uh, which they do in Washington, they've got a research unit there in the States, and when they get to one and a half years, which is about 15, they have to leave the parent group, and they have to resist them, they have to become independent. They go around in roaming groups and then have to find another social group. So it's kind of normal in your fight for independence to say, I don't need you. Mm. Um, So there's one quite good book on adolescence, which the title is something like, Get Out of My Life, but could you give me a lift to the station? <laughs> That's, that sums up a lot. Um, and so how you then stay calm and realise, so some of the parents who have that kind of thing, I say to them, the studies show for kids who don't start taking marijuana or trying an ecstasy tablet, and 30% do, um, the reason, the most commonly given reason is because I know my parents would disapprove of it. So you might not feel you're having an effect, but actually you are. Right, okay. So, so really, we're talking about once, um, once children, uh, young people, they're at an age where not only they're asserting their independence, but there's some sort of disconnect anyway between the uh, child and the parent because they are going on to adult life. Okay, and, and, and they're fighting for their independence and they're not just being mummy's boy and daddy's boy and being a goody-goody, even though that's nice for us as parents. Yeah, yeah, okay. Excellent. And um, I, I can think of, I, I thought it would be a good idea for my youngest son to play tennis, and I took him there, and he just lay down on the court. How embarrassed was I <laughs> when I paid for a tennis teacher? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Great. And Stephen, is there ever a time to meet anger with anger? Well, in general, not. Of course, if all you know in your home life is parents who are ice queens and ice kings, you're not going to be very well fitted to understand when people get angry. But, but seldom, I think, is the answer. Because I think when people get raged, parents, they start saying nasty things than which are surprisingly wounded to children. You are the adult. You are the one who should try to be in control. And to say, you're such a failure, you'll never get anywhere. You'll be like your grandfather if you don't do your homework. Uh, these things can wound. And we find when we teach the other ways of dealing with anger and calmness that parents get less angry themselves and stay in control because what is nasty for many parents would say you know once my child starts going off and I start shouting him I feel like it's two three-year-olds having a shout I don't feel in control anymore and I feel a bit ashamed when we've all calmed down and maybe we all need to apologize to each other so generally I I don't think it's terribly helpful yeah, and, and the other question, which I'm sure no parent wants to hear the answer to, is how much of it, how much of children expressing anger is, is modelling? How what Are they just copying us? No. Some of them are, are 
naturally. And, and so I think one of the interesting changes in the last 30 years is the difference between thinking every, all kids are the same and it's just the way they've been brought up versus now we know that some kids are just much more volatile and uh, prone to be volcanic and go from 0 to 60 in about one second. And are much more emotionally, uh, the inward these times is emotionally dysregulated. They can't, they can't keep a lid on it. Um, that's, so the interesting thing is, which we'll go on to talk about when we talk about how to manage them, is if a kid has a tantrum a few times, if he or she then finds that they have great control in the family, wow, that's good stuff. Um, so, um, Johnny, it's time to go to bed. Uh, Mom, I just want to watch the end of this Simpsons. Johnny, it's time to go. Mom, I want to watch the Simpsons. Screw you. And you say, ooh, and you back down for 10 minutes. I understand it, but you're tired. You've got the dinner to cook and the other kids to get to bed. Um, what are you teaching your child? The child is learning that actually if they have a tantrum, they get their way. And so quite inadvertently, we can, with the best intentions, actively train up our kids to be more antisocial through not following through. That's interesting because I think um, from what I understand uh, and, um, you know, I've I've had toddlers myself and I've been through that stage thankfully I'm over that stage but um is is we're talking about a, ch- a toddler perhaps learning a behavior not necessarily it is a manifestation of anger that they're feeling but it's a behavior that they know will get them results and so they're repeating that behavior in order to get their way um w- would that be accurate is that absolutely absolutely so if you like the original cause may be justifiable but then if after a few times they've learned it gets results, then, um, yeah, go figure. They're not stupid. They're, they're good. They can calculate the odds. They would make good gamblers in a casino. So shall we deal, so shall we deal with that one then? Because uh, you're quite right. There are, we, we would obviously like to give our listeners tips on how to deal with, with some of these problems. We've also got some questions from some listeners here that we'd like to specifically ask you. But shall we start with this as we're on All this? Right. Yeah, sure. with, with toddlers that perhaps have learnt this. this um, uh, it could be. Could be well. It could be teenagers, so it's not actually necessarily a manifestation of anger. It is simply a tactic that they know will allow them to get their way. Well, How does a parent deal with that? Yes, I, I wouldn't be quite as cynical. I'd say it starts off quite unconsciously as, as something that makes them anger. Turn off the TV in the middle of your favourite program, and you feel annoyed. Um, and then if you have a tantrum, if it then leads to results, um, it's much more likely to have another one. Not necessarily intentionally. They're not putting it on um but they've learned that that thing's and vice versa you can turn it off if you deal with it calmly and follow through right and so with so with a parent that perhaps has fallen into that um that position where actually uh, over repeated years that unfortunately they have done that and like you said the, the the child has learned well you know like you say um that works um how can a parent start rolling that back First of all, understanding the process, because once you realize what's going on, and, and when they say, uh, oh, pardon my French, but you silly fat slag to their mother, or you're horrible, I hate you, you're a bad mother, this is pretty wounding, and the kid is going to look at your face and say, oh, yes, result, 1-0 score, there, yeah. I've got mum to back off. Um, so it's, first of all, to get a slight bit of distance and put on your your protective armor and say well i think i know what's going on here i'm not going to take this personally i am going to win i'm going to follow through and this is easy for me to say but it's hard to do and the devil is in the detail 
that you need to say, I'm sorry, if you don't do that in two minutes, um, you're going to, I'm going to just pull the TV out and the plug very calmly. Um, and you can put yourself, your body in front of the TV or the Xbox so they can't see it and just go and pull it out. And they will shout and scream. And actually, when you start setting limits, they will even escalate it further to see where the boundary lies. And so calm and assertive. Calm and assertive and consequential. Uh, not horrible, not right, you've blown it, you're not going to have a pony at Christmas. It's got to be, the consequence has got to be really quite soon, ideally the same day. Oh, that's interesting. That's a really good point. So actually, uh, uh, quite quite a kind of a, a quick reaction for them to feel that this Absolutely. is a consequence it's, it's, it's of their behaviour. It's got to affect them now, in, in the here and now. Yeah, sorry, you're going to have to go to bed half an hour early or actually, you know... You're not going to have your nighttime stories tonight, or no snack. So no waiting for everybody to cool down and... No, no, you've got to heat the moment. I'm sorry, because you've done that. And then and then they'll start trying to get a negotiation, because if they can then get attention, oh, but it's unfair, because little Johnny hit me today at school, all that sort of thing. Or, uh, they will do everything they can to get back control. So um, just staying calm and saying, sorry, no almost then looking away and getting on with the hoovering or whatever it may be. And can I ask you, Professor Scott, um, I have had parents say to me in the past, the thing is, uh, how do you deal with your child? Because when I do give um, some sort of a, uh, let's call it a punishment, I'm not sure if I'm allowed yes. to use that word, yeah, yeah, yeah. that punishment, then my child doesn't react to it because there's nothing my child really cares about enough that they're bothered. So sending them to bed half an hour early, for example, doesn't really bother them. And and I wonder if they... How, is it that they're just acting like it doesn't bother them? Most of them are acting. There are very few who are these quite tough diamonds who are, really are so-called punishment insensitive. But I would say 95% of kids are going to say, well, stuff you, I don't care, but they do. Right, OK. And the art, you're quite right, though, is to choose something they do care about. OK. Uh, whether it is time on the internet, time on their phone, uh, Xbox, uh, you know, whatever it is that they do care about. Uh, but it's important also not to cut off their noses despite their faces, as it were, and stop them seeing their friends or something like that, if that's something you want to promote or playing football on a Saturday. But, but So there is a quite right an art in choosing something that the child cares about. Right, OK. Um, and uh, I wonder if we might go to some listeners' questions, uh, Professor Scott. So yes. some... Just before we do that, I yes. just want to say it isn't just about being a super controller. In that context, you do need to keep the attachment relationship going, by which I mean spending 10 minutes a day doing nice things with your kid if it's, if it's got bad, so they feel for that 10 minutes a day that they are the apple of your eye. And when you're doing that, you're letting them set the agenda if they want to play Lego or things rather than saying, oh, no, actually, we're going to do cooking because I want to do that. Yeah. Help them follow their lead, and we, we use a technique called descriptive commenting. You are drawing a red man. You are kneading the Play-Doh. You are playing the Lego man. Um, that is important because it also gives you the, the counter bit of ignoring and being firm about bad behavior is you want to promote good behavior. If they're behaving well 90% of the time, which most kids are, then they're not misbehaving. So um, thank you for sitting quietly at dinner. Thank you for uh, playing nicely with your toys. They're getting attention. These little love darts, they only need to have one every few minutes. They'll go, mm, oh, that's nice, and they'll feel warm inside, and they'll carry on being good, because if they get bored, they'll start playing up. 
Did you call them love darts? I did. That's a lovely word. Oh, I, I, I really like that. And and descriptive comedy. It's it, like it's such a great concept, a great tool for parents to have in their pockets. I mean, let, let, let me give you a simple example. Yeah. Uh, my mother would have said to me, "Oh, stop it, Stephen! You're eating so messily." <laughs> yes, but it doesn't actually give me a mental picture. It doesn't train my brain as to what I should be doing. So it'd be better if she'd said, "Stephen, please keep your peas on the fork." And then as soon as I find it, well done, you're doing that really well. Oh, you you eat so nicely, we can take you for dinner with the Queen. Um, yeah, that, that's Victoria interesting. Beckham, or whoever it is, I want to see. Um, yeah. You get the point, you're trying to, and it's actually getting that mindset from, he's so annoying, you go and visit your grandmothers. Stop running down the hall, you'll break those glass ornaments. Well, yes, but then what is it, what's the behaviour you do want to see? And it's often quite a bit of a mind shift. Uh, so the answer would probably be, please walk quietly down the corridor. Right, yeah. Oh, that... you look so good when you're walking quietly. You could be in uh, whatever that matters to them. Professor Scott, do you keep your peas on your fork? <laughs> that's the, that's the that's fundamental a, question. That's a very personal question. <laughs> <laughs> I try. And I try not to make eating noises at mealtimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's... It's such, um, it's such it a simple, so simple thing, but it's actually but yeah, quite profound. But you're right, it is a, it is a change. For, certainly for somebody like me, it is a mindset. I am the stop being so messy kind of mom. And uh, it's it's so much more empowering to emphasise the positive or just kind of describe... It is, and one mother said, um, you know, gosh, you know, will this work on men? And I said, well, it works on pigeons and horses. So, <laughs> you know, try it. Yeah. I really like it when you put your glass in the dishwasher. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for washing up and thank you for putting your smelly underpants in the laundry basket. <laughs> yeah, that's that that is actually good. I wonder whether for, for, for all parents, you know, me included, it would be just helpful just to write a list almost of these things to get used to your own mind, you know, changing that mindset of yeah. of this is at lunch, at dinner, at whatever, at these yeah. at, you know, especially getting the kids ready for school. All of those um those particular uh, hotspot areas that were tempest trying to, as it were, program their brains to thinking what they should be doing. Just saying, stop it, stop it, don't do that. You're going to get mm. silence because uh, you're inhibiting any response. Whereas what you want to do is herd them into the gate so they get where you want them to. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Online at RadioVerulam.com and on 92.6 FM, we are the radio station for St. Albans. Radio Verulam. Radio Verulam. <laughs> The Parents Show on 92.6 FM, sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Hopefully we'll, we'll elicit more top tips from you as we're going through these sure. situations. So listeners have sent in um, some scenarios that describe their situation. So Sally has an eight-year-old boy, generally very kind, happy, popular, but doesn't like change or being put outside his comfort zone and can get very anxious. When yeah. he's told off or if anybody messes with his things, he can completely fly off the handle, lose his temper. The result of this is often running to his room, slamming doors, breaking things in his room, even things he loves like his Lego models. And they've taken him hours to build. Afterwards, he's very sorry about what he's done. He regrets losing his temper, but he simply doesn't know how to control himself. So what would you say to that, Mum? Uh, well, I would say, yeah, first of all, let's think about it. I think he does have a volatile temperament. Uh, he is explosive. I don't think that's his fault. Uh, some kids are made that way, and it means he is, he's quite touchy. 
thing is finding out, thinking what the triggers are. So lots of warning. I, some of these kids, uh, they're not autistic, but they're a bit obsessive and they get upset by small changes and changes in their routine. Plenty of warnings. We're going to have to go to bed in five minutes. Um, you can almost sell and think when you're up in your bedroom, you'll have a lovely or you'll have a lovely hot bath first or you'll be there and be able to play with that. So again, you're selling the image of where they're going rather than upsetting them by stopping something that they're in the middle of. Um, um, and because otherwise you find often what you, anyway you find with these kids, you're treading on eggshells. They're very touchy. And is, is it ever okay to just let that happen and almost feel sorry for the child of going for oh, going well, I, through I, this? I think the trouble is, you're, I think you need to say, you know, I'm sorry if you do that. We are going to take you to your room. You know, I do understand. And when you've calmed down, you can come back down and apologise. But I think we don't want to fall into the trap of letting them uh, become the little king of the household because they of their tempers, because that will affect both parents if there are two parents at home, and it'll affect the brothers and sisters too. And when it's extreme, there is a new condition called uh, disruptive, dysregulated mood disorder, because some of these people are quite irritable and moody. Um, the other thing is, if he's eight, by that time he can then start, um, if necessary, thinking about how he's going to calm down. When you feel angry, walk away, put yourself in the quiet bit of the house or the classroom, count to three. You can have a little colored rubber bands, which he twangs a rubber band before he does anything. I'm impressed how young, even six-year-olds, will start learning simple techniques to calm themselves down. Okay, take, so take, that's... Take deep breaths. So there are things you can do with the individuals and then for the parents, making them calm and carry through it and think about it. And not get angry, just say, you know, actually, if you're in a bad mood, you will just have to go to your room. You can come out as soon as you've calmed down. This is not for half an hour or something. Right. And some children actually will now, once they've trained to that, take themselves off to a quiet corner in the room or upstairs because they can, they can and sometimes what I do, I draw temperature charts with these kids. With, <laughs> uh, you know, nice thermometer thing down and then bang, how quickly you go up. What are the triggers? Know your own temperature shot. Do you feel butterflies in your stomach? Do you feel steam coming out of your ears? And I'm, I'm always impressed how relatively young children are interested in this. It makes sense to them how they, you know, they, this child doesn't like it. He feels terrible about himself afterwards by the sound of it. Yeah. Um, that, that, those, those tips are very interesting and, and they lead into um, uh, another question that we have which is actually from an eight-year-old child uh, that right. I spoke to, um, when I mentioned that uh, we were speaking to you today and we were talking about anger management with children and, and you know, I simply said to her, you know, would you have any questions? And she, and this is what came, what she came out with. Now, when her sister, and actually I have to say, all of the kids I spoke to, they're all about issue, anger management issues with their own siblings. Yeah. But when her sister annoys her, what she does is there is a physical response in that she squeezes her sister's arm very tightly so it is all you know it's it, it's it's not violent but it is she has to reach out and touch her sister and what she said is what do you think she should do instead so you've kind of spoken about a couple of things there but what would you say is the easiest perhaps top tip for an eight-year-old is it to go to her room if she feels herself getting absolutely. angry absolutely and it's also for the parents to say it's okay to feel angry but it's not okay to act on it and it's parent can have a little thing say well what happened there how can we make it fair because often these things are about perceived unfairness someone's taken their toy for too long or they're not doing that and they're terribly common these these sibling brother and sister fights or sister and sister fights 
So I, I think the parents setting a framework where the child knows they'll be heard, what was the matter, what was going on, can I help sort it out, but also for the eight-year-old to um, walk away and take some deep breaths and then go and find, yeah, that, yeah. their parents and say, no, this is unfair, I'm not happy with that. Because I think once you know that it's going to be sorted out and the world is a fair, predictable place, children do feel a bit calmer about things. Whereas if it's all deeply unfair and irritating and nobody cares, you can get more and more head up. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think um, w I think telling a child to, certainly I know with my kids, telling a child to go to their room and just calm down, that wouldn't work because exactly for that reason that they would still fe feel it's unfair. Yeah, Obviously they already feel wronged by their sibling in some way that's made yeah. them angry. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they can go away and calm down and then speak to their parent yeah. would give them an out. And, and so, so what we teach when we've got the resources is, is a little problem solving so you become a little you know northern ireland negotiator what is your you the catholics view what is you the protestants view how are we going to resolve that and and you know kids can come up with solutions how should we do that well we could take turns with the the tv or the dole or whatever it is and 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 you can say well how do you think you know and, or you can say well i think we should go in lock up my sister and throw away the key. You say, well, yes, but then what would happen? You, you rather say, don't be so stupid, that's a terrible You say, yes, okay, but then what would happen? You'd go to jail or she would feel upset with you. I'm amazed how, yeah, six, seven, eight-year-old children can be quite, their many little guidance can be quite thoughtful about the consequences and understand the way they're affecting other people. Right, Brilliant. okay. Great, we'll jump on to the next parent question. So this is from Steve, single dad of a one-year-old, uh, sorry, a 14-year-old daughter. It's an only only child. My daughter's obviously going through puberty, so I'm aware that it may be a contributing factor. She's regularly angry with me, only in the last couple of years, and refuses refuses point blank to show any affection. Instant reaction is frustration, exasperation with most, most issues. Generally very sociable and gregarious to everybody except her dad. And it feels like he can't do anything right, and she's just waiting to find something to fly into rage about. Is that just being a teenager? Well, pretty much, yes. As long as she's not flying off the handle and losing all her friends from it, this is part of that yeah, becoming individual process. And, and it's probably, you know, it's a terribly important if it's just those two at home together. It is actually quite a close relationship. Um, but um, to a limited degree, he can say, you know, look, I don't mind if you don't talk to me, but if you're going to shout at me or that sort of thing and just be furious then there'll be a consequence, you know. I'm not going to cook you dinner or we'll just have a boring dinner. Yeah. Um, but um, it does sound like she is going through that independent stage, but that doesn't mean to say she can't show him some respect. And sometimes, actually, parents showing that I'm hurt by this um, and there'll be a consequence for it does make children wake up. Um, some some people talk about, you know, that one's trying to get just a little bit of respect and gratitude for what you do as a parent. Yeah, that's it's such a difficult situation, something like that, though, because perhaps um, a child who is from a relationship that's broken up, um, the parent already feels guilty. The parent already feels bad. This is what's going on. You know, that, that, that relationship Absolutely. is so complex. Yeah. And so to then punish your child you know with, with consequences um you know we're not going to have dinner i'm not going to make you know whatever you, you almost don't want to give them another reason to dislike you absolutely and and but so this is you're completely spot on and we see this particularly oh precious children children who've got epilepsy asthma who perhaps were conceived by ivf or something like that or they're the only child or the parents feeling guilty oh i'm a 
harmonious and um, they've already had enough pain in their life I really mustn't cause any more and, and then you can become a bit of the, the, the bed and breakfast servant at home <laughs> um, and um, I'm always struck from my personal experience and I literally would say actually setting a limit can increase affection I mean I can think of examples where children won't get up and I go through step by step parents whipping the duvet off the bread off the bed I even had parents putting cold water in the fridge to pour on their child's head to get them out of bed. Um, and they're a bit surprised that the child actually gets a bit of respect for them. Right. Okay. That. I mean, I think because that that would be... absolutely spot on. The fear is they won't love me anymore. I think, I think fear. I think that is what a lot of parents feel. I think fear. Um, and, and the way we bring up children today is very different from the way that we were brought up because society has changed quite a lot. You know, the environment, social environment for children totally. has changed. And so I think parents feel unsure... And what is behind that is the fear of, I don't want to do something wrong so that when my kids are in their 20s, they blame me for doing it wrong. No, and, and, and I'm sure Steve, if he's listening, I mean, you know, this is the only child you've got at home and, and you don't want to, who knows what Steve is thinking, but, you know, you don't want to blow this relationship and that sort of thing. But actually, people will, uh, if you give them an inch, they will take a mile and they will uh, take the mickey and uh, disrespect you. That's right. And I, I think there is a slight tendency nowadays to see see teen years as almost like like health condition, like, oh, they're a teenager, you know, they, yeah. they, no, you I, can't I, deal I, with that. A certain amount of that is common now, but that's no reason not to yeah. set firm limits and, and say, I'm sorry, we don't talk like that in our household. Excellent. Really, really helpful. Now, I just want to jump on to the last parent question because I can see that ticking. So um, this is from Michelle and she says, we have a nine-year-old boy who gets really angry very quickly. It's been going on for about two years. We cannot always predict predict what will set him off. He gets really upset and angry in a split second and then shuts down, even covering his ears so that there is no reasoning with him. He will slam doors and shout and hit the bed or objects, but never us. We've tried workbooks, anger box, fiddle toys. When he's out of the mood, he doesn't want to revisit the situation to discuss it. He hates the fact that he feels out of control and it's awful seeing him so upset. Then I feel it erodes his self-esteem. We also feel slightly resentful as it impacts on the quality of family life and we're on tenterhooks as we never are never sure when the next outburst will be or why how do we know if this is a phase would he benefit from speaking to the psychologist or do we risk exacerbating the feeling that there is something wrong with him for getting so angry um well if it's been going on for two years that is worrying and i think it does need some professional help but i would consider seeing a psychologist just to help them think through what is it because clearly these are thoughtful parents they're trying to identify the trigger but sometimes it can be a really small thing that sets um, this nine-year-old boy off so I think it would be worth getting professional because it's been going on for quite a long time it isn't just a phase anymore and and it clearly he is very volatile um, he sounds like quite a precise boy who doesn't like little changes and small things I think it would be good to rule out autistic tendencies where these little sounds and little things can make people get very anxious and go off on one and have a meltdown uh, you know these such children will be rather rigid and not like little changes to their routine that would be something to think about and, and, and rule out I suppose what I'm not hearing is how is he doing at school right, right. Uh, this is crucial because if on the whole he can make friends and do work at school and behave well at school then it suggests there are things you can do at home to make things better if it's pervasive across both situations there is more likely to be something more worrying at the bottom of it or within within him anyway
uh, getting to see a psychologist is pretty hard. CAMs are under huge pressure, for example, child and elephant mental health services. But some schools have counsellors who may or may not be very good at this kind of thing. Often they're better at worries and anxiety and trauma. They're less good at this disruptive behaviour. Um, so if you, get a, if you can get a clinical psychologist to see them, that would be great. Fantastic. That's so valuable. And I'm sure, I mean, only, you know, not just the people who wrote in their questions this evening will benefit massively from your advice. That's that's really excellent. And just one last question before we let, we let you go, Professor Scott. Is there a role for schools in supporting parents for challenging this behaviour? We touched on it there briefly. Well, um, <clears throat> I'm perhaps going to say something controversial. I, I think schools should keep school behaviour good and parents should keep home behavior good and i think it's piling too much onto schools to try and help parents control their kids at home i think having a good school home relationship is good you can each learn from each other at parents evening what works for your child and the kind of person they are and actually we now teach teachers how to use these techniques in classrooms because a disruptive pupil or two or three can make it ruinous for the other 27 in a class Mm. um but um I I think it's a bit unfair to expect them to do everything, even though I know there's a big emphasis on schools now. That would be my own view. But I think you're right that there's not enough resource around, and that's why I'm trying to um, develop an online parenting program, and I will, in due course, perhaps let Radio Verulam know about it, because it would be great to have some of your parents try it out and tell me how I should make it better. Certainly. Because it will be a course on love and limits, how you do the loving bit and the attention and the love darts, and then how you set a limit, because you can never have enough resources to see everybody face to face so having a good online program should be a good starting point and then you can perhaps have support over the phone for it that's excellent and i'm sure there'll be a lot of parents out there delighted to hear that if they can get in touch with you or whatever that would be that would be great Um, absolutely we'll we'll definitely shout it from the rooftops when it's ready any idea a date when it might be uh i think probably autumn probably autumn but that's i'll get in touch with you again Excellent. And how, and so that your your book with Professor Goodman, yes. Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, would you, is that, a, is that another good um, resource well, for parents? Well, describes conditions. It's probably not for parents. They're welcome to get it and they can download it um, um, if they go to, there's a website called Health in Mind and um, you can download it for free there. I want it to be widely available. But it, it, it is more for trainee professionals. Fantastic. Great. So we'll um, we'll definitely let our parents know about the online programme as soon as that's ready. Professor Stephen Scott, thank you so much for joining us on The Parents Show. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure and great question. Thank you so much. Thank our you. Pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back, and that was a very interesting conversation that we just had with uh, Professor Stephen Scott. I have to say my main takeaway from that is setting limits sometimes increases affection. I'm going to definitely be using that one. In fact, I might have it printed on a T-shirt. I think... Use that one or milk that one. (laughs) I think that one. You're quite right. You're quite right. Brilliant. Okay, so as as a compliment to our discussion about anger in children and teens we're really delighted to have Ruth Ferenga join us on the line now hi Ruth hi there um, now Ruth you're the director of mindful pathways in in our local area in St Albans and the wider area isn't that right yes that's right yeah so it's mindfulness courses for for businesses and also the public so yeah that's why 
I run locally. It's a social enterprise. Um, we've been running just over two and a half years now. Fantastic. And we hear amazing things about Mindful Pathways. So that's why we wanted to get you on and get your take as well. We've spoken to Professor Scott about anger, but could you tell us a little bit about your experience of how mindfulness and anger can work together? Yeah, I mean, mindfulness can work really well with anger because it allows a bit of space. Um, If you ever sort of remember, like, back to any kind of situation where you felt angry, it can feel like a bit of a flash of light going through your, or maybe suddenly feel hot, and before you know it, you've said that thing that you regret or you've acted in a certain way. you said that thing to your child, you said that thing to your friend, um, just out of a a reflex kind of reaction um, perspective. Mm -hmm. So... So really, mindfulness allows you to bring a bit more time and space into that moment there when you would previously be um, soaring in to to act. Right. And and, and Ruth, um, mindfulness, I I understand from some people, can feel to be a difficult idea. It's a difficult concept to grasp at first. Um, Obviously, um, from what I understand anyway, the more you do it, the easier it becomes to be able to put yourself into that moment. Um, Is it something that can be advocated for children? How young do you think children could be to be able to perhaps use any of these mindfulness techniques? I mean, certainly children in as young as upper infant school can be doing... And mindfulness exercises, so little moments, um, just listening to a certain sound, seeing when they disappear, like listening to a bell, um, as long as as long as you can, um, tasting something and seeing if you can notice all the different flavours, all the different textures or something. You can do that really quite young. Right. Um, and, and you said it was kind of a different, difficult concept to get your head around. I think because it's like a broad practice, it's not like one thing or one technique. And, and in fact, I, I don't really even describe it as, as techniques as such because it's while there are things you can do and put in place it's more like a whole way of living your life differently so if you apply that to anger for example it would be say you felt that sense be be a child or an adult Mm -hmm. so as a parent you could practice this for yourself or with your child is if you get that moment of feeling angry feeling very hot maybe or maybe your chest is pounding or maybe you feel tense inside your body is getting curious about what's going on in the body so being like, hmm, what does angry feel like? If I get friendly and curious with this emotion and with this kind of habit of, of the body to act in this way, what does it feel like? And can I then breathe with it? Can I actually sit with that emotion without wishing to change it, just to, to sit with it just the way it is and and stay with it and allow um, allow myself to settle, really, before sort of carrying on so that you haven't got that kind of flash reaction? Now, I think yeah. it's, these things take time. You know, we've, we've hardwired habits of reacting very quickly. So, um, but it can be something you can start to practice. Yeah, and do, so, so you do you think that that is something that what you've just described you could do with, let's say, so you said upper upper infant age, so that's about six, seven, maybe, or is that too young? Or it, I mean, if you, you were, know, what, what words would you use, perhaps, to because I think it's a really interesting yeah. concept to yeah. to say to a child because obviously it allows them to step back and to calm and for that feeling to subside, which is yeah. exactly what, as parents, we want to see in our children. Um, well, let's be honest, we want to see in ourselves as well. So, um, you know, I just wonder about the, the simple phrases that you could actually use, that you would advocate to use with a with a child, perhaps of that young an age. Mm. I mean, firstly, I would say 
if it's possible, because you're trying to adopt a mindful attitude with the child, you want to do that for yourself as well. So if you're okay with it, so if you're not like, oh, stop being angry, you know, just bottle this and, you know, please stop immediately. So if you're like, okay, this is anger here, this is what we've got, and maybe say something like, um, you know, if they're receptive to it, because I imagine some would be, maybe some not, just say, okay, I can tell you're feeling angry right now. Do you want to tell me how this, I know this happens maybe often, if you're dealing with it oftentimes, I want to work with a bit. Can you tell me what's going on in your body? You know, can you feel any any tension? Are you feeling a bit hot? Okay, let's let's have a look at that. Let's and maybe we do a few breaths together. We can breathe into some of these sensations in the body. Right. Okay. And and do you explain that to the child, or even to yourself, as I am t- uh, adopting this in a way because I'd like for that anger to subside, or or do you not? I'm. I'm, I'm not sure I completely, I'm completely clear on what you're telling yourself because, of course, mindfulness I think is is about what you're, how you're explaining these moods to yourself. Yeah, I mean, with mindfulness, this is not about just getting rid of emotion and, and trying to stop everything. It's more about exploring it. Right. And when we explore it, we're watching it. We have a bit more of a gentle attitude to what's going on. So if you say to them, "Okay, well, I've heard that there's these." little things we can do together if we want to stop being as angry that when it happens in the moment can i do that with you next time you're angry can we have a go at that and we'll just explore it we'll just see what it's like and it might subside let's just see what happens so not expecting it just to go away but just to actually play with it you know we can be this is sort of a bit of a problem of our society really we kind of want black and white we want to know we want to do something and we want the result but can you be as a parent as well a bit playful a bit curious I see what happens with a bit of an open mind um, yeah, um, to, to kind of take the pressure off in a way. Well, that's interesting because one of the listeners' questions actually was about her daughter who, when they've had a disagreement, quite a young daughter, and, and she follows the mother around the house. And mm. what that does is increase the tension. So really what the mother feels like she needs to do is escape. And actually being followed around by her daughter, it, it, it just makes everything a lot worse. And then the child also feels worse because the mother simply looks like she's trying to escape. Actually, what you're describing there might be, instead of trying to escape, just trying to, it would resolve it perhaps for both of them if they could both sit down and, as you say, explore their feeling. Mm. Yeah, what does it feel like to to have had this disagreement, um, to sit with it, to actually face difficulty? You know, it's quite a radical act for us to instead of pushing unwanted feelings away, to, to kind of cradle them and say, oh, what does, what does anger look like? What does discomfort, impatience, sadness, any, any of these negative emotions that we perceive to be unwanted, could we look after them? Can we actually look after ourselves and, and see what's going on? Because then we have less of an aversion, which kind of makes things bigger. You know, basically, the more you push something away in unwanted emotion, normally the bigger it gets. <laughs> so you kind yeah. of have this, this kind of catch 22 there so absolutely and is there an emergency technique that somebody who doesn't have and i know i am so guilty of (laughs) of of this instant gratification quick fix stick a plaster on it and i'm and i know mindfulness is is a longer more strategic approach but if you had something just a, a simple tip to give a parent in a situation where you can feel your blood level you know your blood rising. What would you What would you do? What could you do? Is this I mean, I'd advocate something doing like a um, and you could do this either proper little mini meditation or while you're 
standing there. You know, you can kind of do it even with your eyes open. Um, you could do a little three-stage breathing space. And um, so the first step is just to scan the body, look what's going on inside your body, any tension, any discomfort, any, any thoughts and feelings. And then move your breathing into your abdomen. So, so focus on your breath in your tummy. So allow the breath to breathe itself. We don't have to breathe in a special way. And then widen your um, attention out to your whole body, so as if your whole body was breathing. So first step is to scan your body. What's going on? Where am I doing right, right now? What's going on in my body? Second step, breathe in the abdomen. And then third step, breathe with the whole body. And it just takes a little bit of the gas, the mojo out of some situation when we've we've taken a bit of a step back. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, and I just wonder, this is... Um I'm just trying to think of the worst case scenario. You sit with a child and you say to them, um, you know, explore how you're feeling because as we've described it, um, and this unwanted feeling of anger, what happens if they say, yeah, I like this anger because it makes me angry and I'm angry at you. And, and, and I, you know, I just wonder, would you be, would you try to convince them that actually it was a bad emotion? Um, I mean, it's more about, I guess, the consequences of that emotion. Right. So maybe they're getting themselves very worked up. Maybe there are consequences in terms of the things they're not getting, like treats or whatever it is out of that. So while there might be some bizarre kind of enjoyment that we get out of being angry, ultimately it isn't. Um, yeah. That's probably an attention-seeking thing if they're saying, oh, I love this and I love getting angry. <laughs> so you may want to back off and <laughs> focus somewhere else. But um, I guess people may know a little bit when they're in their child's attention-seeking versus, um, yeah, when they can explore that. Um Hmm. Yeah, I don't know exactly, but I'd say, yeah, I'd watch that if they thought they were enjoying it. It might be, a, might be attention seeking. And Ruth, any other tips just before we uh, let you go this evening about um, for parents who are considering mindfulness? Um, yeah, I just think, I mean, the benefits of mindfulness is that it it just works via op- osmosis to the kids. So to to your kids, to the to anyone you interact with, friends, family. So. If it's something you're interested in, um, it has many more um, impacts, really, like, you know, much more impact in a kind of your wider circle. Um, and I'd encourage it, you to see it like a, a little bit of a journey, a bit of a pathway. That's why I called it Mindful Pathway. Um, and to get yourself an opportunity to explore in that way. So I just researched some of the science, the history behind it. We use an evidence-based approach. We're keen on neuroscience and the way it impacts the brain. So... Now, this is not spiritual fuddy-duddy stuff. This is this is hard science. So have a little look around um, what's available and, and find something where there is an evidence-based approach because that, that can make a real difference to your life and, and those around you, really. Excellent, Ruth. So you have a taster session coming up soon, right? Yes, on the 1st of February, Thursday evening, the 1st of February. Fantastic. Well, we've put a link to your website on the Parent Show Facebook page and um, and we'll link that event as well. Ruth, thank you so much for joining us on the Parent you're Show welcome. this evening. Wonderful. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank Take you very care, much. Then. Take care. Oh, sorry, I cut Ruth off just a millisecond too quickly. That was Ruth Varenga from Mindful Pathways here in St. Albans. So all the information is there on our website. Thanks very much for listening this evening. I'm Lydia L. Khoury. I'm Seema Barker. We've had a good evening with you tonight. Speak to you soon. Neves solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves solicitors, your complete legal solution.